Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for the first Sunday in Advent. And today we'll be looking at the Gospel reading for the first Sunday of Advent from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. And after we do that, maybe a few brief remarks in the Old Testament lesson for today as well. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The first Sunday of Advent usually has a gospel reading about Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem just a few days before his crucifixion. And that's to set the tone for the season of Advent. Advent is the season that celebrates the fact that the Lord is coming. Throughout the Old Testament, that's the that's the hope. That's what is prophesied again and again, that someday the promised Messiah is coming. And now that he has come and died for us and risen again, we wait for him to come again in glory. And as we await for Jesus to come again in glory, we rejoice always that he comes to us, he visits again and again in his means of grace, in his word, and his sacraments. So although we don't see Jesus in his glory right now, he isn't far away. He's as near to us as, as his means of grace. So Advent is a season in which we reflect upon Jesus coming to us, first born of Mary at Christmas, again coming in glory at the end of time on the last day, and in the meantime coming to us in his word and his sacraments. And so traditionally, the first Sunday of Advent has the reading of Palm Sunday, where Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. He comes to the holy city as the triumphant Messiah, who five days later saves us, brings us into his kingdom by dying in our place for our sin. Matthew 21 verses 1 through 11 is Matthew's account of the triumphal entry of of Palm Sunday. And it reads as follows. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. All right, that's the first five verses of Matthew 21, as the stage is set for Jesus to enter Jerusalem. And it begins, now when they drew near. So we should probably ask, who is the they in verse 1? And the answer is that Jesus has been making his way towards Jerusalem. He is most recently in the city of Jericho. He's surrounded by a large crowd of people. And near the end of his time in Jericho, he heals two blind men. He gives them sight. And we're told that the blind men then follow Jesus. 
So the they who draw near to Jerusalem are Jesus and his disciples and the two blind men and likely large parts of this crowd that was in Jericho. After all, it's almost time for the Passover, and many pilgrims are making their way to the Passover because it's one of the pilgrimage festivals. If you remember, there are three festivals each year, the, uh, the Feast of the Passover, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, and the Feast of Weeks. Those three festivals are called pilgrimage festivals because all Jewish men are required to go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices. And so you have these men and often their families on the roads to Jerusalem uh, making pilgrimage to the holy city, in this case for Passover. So Jesus is going, a huge crowd is following him, and no doubt there are thousands of other pilgrims along the way. Verse 1 says they're drawing near to Jerusalem, which is more than just they're at the end of their trip or they've reached their destination almost. It's more than that. We've reached kind of the the end of Jesus' public ministry because he's been on his way to Jerusalem for the specific purpose of dying, of being arrested and and, and, and suffering and, and, and being crucified. And so when it says they drew near to Jerusalem, it wasn't just they finally finished the trip, but now Matthew is telling us the passion of Jesus draws near. They come to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sends two disciples uh, into a village saying, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Now, this is probably uh, just a little um, example, reminder of Jesus' omniscience, his, his divine all-knowingness that he knows that the, uh, the, the, the colt and the donkey are there. Um, it's a little bit strange that this close to Jerusalem, he alters his mode of travel. He's been walking this far along, and it would make sense if he just kept on going the same way, but instead he stops here. And he tells the disciples to to go into this village and bring the donkey and the colt back to him. Why does he change his mode of travel? Because this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, says Matthew. And this is a prophecy from Zechariah 9, verse 9. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So, as Matthew points out with that one verse from Zechariah, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy by riding this this animal into Jerusalem. However, let's take a second and look a little bit more at Zechariah chapter 9. In Zechariah 9 verses 1 through 7, the Lord declares that a remnant that are in captivity will return to Jerusalem. He will gather some of his people back who are taken into captivity because of their sin. So that's chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. In 9, verse 8, the Lord declares that he himself camps around the city to save Zion, to save Jerusalem. And then in verse 9 of Zechariah 9, the king enters the city on a donkey in peace. 
doesn't come on a war horse. He comes humbly on a donkey. And coming humbly, he comes to serve. And then in verse 10 of Zechariah 9, the Lord declares that the king speaks peace to all nations. All of that is a prophecy of Jesus, not just the riding on the donkey part, but rather as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he is gathering his people back into his kingdom because he's about to die to to redeem them from sin so so that they can be part of his kingdom. If Jesus is at the city, then Yahweh is at the city, for Jesus is in fact God himself. He comes in peace. He comes, in fact, to bring peace, not pour out his wrath upon sinners. And he brings peace by sacrificing himself for the sins of the world. That peace, then, is for all nations, as Zechariah 9 verse 10 says. This is Matthew 21. Again, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus will say to the disciples after his resurrection, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So when Matthew quotes Zechariah 9 verse 9 that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy by riding on a donkey, that's absolutely true. But it pays off to look at more of that prophecy in Zechariah 9 because Jesus is, Jesus is doing it all. All right. So that's the preparation for the entry into Jerusalem. Jesus sends the disciples. And we continue with verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So, the prophecy from Zechariah 9 said that the one who enters Jerusalem on the donkey is the king. And when the crowd sees Jesus enter, they apply not Zechariah 9 to him, but they add Psalm 118, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That's from, a, from Psalm 118, verses 25 and, and 26. Um, if you look that up in the Old Testament, it doesn't say Hosanna. It says, save us now, O Lord. And, and save us now is, in fact, um, the English of Hosanna. So now as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he's no longer just one more pilgrim going to Passover. He is the king and declares the crowd, he is the Messiah who has come to save them. And the implication of them saying, save us now, is that that act of salvation is imminent. And of course, his cross is only a few days away. Now, we should pause here and, and for, a, for a historical note that uh, within Roman tradition, there was something called a triumph. 
And when a Roman citizen, say a general of the army, had done something particularly meritorious for the empire, Caesar might declare for that man a triumph, in which case he would be able to enter Rome to the shouts of crowds. Uh, he would have a, uh, a, a crown of, of leaves on his head, and, and he would, he would, the crowds would be waving branches in the air and, and shouting their praises of him because he was, in the case of a general, a victorious conqueror who had shed the blood of their enemies. And, and that was called a triumph as that general entered the city of Rome. Jesus here, at the same historical time period, has his triumphal entry, but instead of the war horse and chariot, he enters on a, on a donkey. Instead of this, this, uh, this kind of crown of, of, of leaves, he'll soon be wearing a crown of thorns. And rather than a general who has shed the blood of his enemies, he's about to allow his, his blood to be shed in order to save sinners. So it's, it's sort of the, um, the opposite of the Roman triumph, where a Roman triumphal entry was to praise the hero as the conqueror um, and victorious um, and, and, and to, to, to exalt the man. Jesus instead, as the king comes as a servant, comes humbly and comes to die. All right, so the crowds welcome him as the Messiah. Zechariah 9 has declared that he is the king. And they also call him the son of David, I should add, because um, that's another messianic term. And as he enters the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, then the whole city is stirred up. And they're saying, who is this? And the crowds answer, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Which is absolutely true. And it does lead to the question of what do the crowds mean by this? On the one hand, it might be Matthew's way of of noting that even though Jesus is in fact the King of Kings and the Messiah and the Son of David, according to his human nature, he's also still Jesus of Nazareth in Galilee the prophet who's been going around and teaching. So it may be just a reminder to us that although Jesus is all these great and glorious and divine things, he is, he is to all appearances the, uh, the, the traveling prophet, the traveling teacher from, from up north in, in backwoods Galilee. It could also be entirely possible, maybe even probable, that this is all the crowds think of him. Perhaps they're not thinking about Zechariah 9 at all. They just see a guy on a donkey. And although they declare him to be the Messiah by quoting Psalm 118, so many in Jerusalem at that time have the wrong idea of what a Messiah will be. It might very well be that the people are expecting Jesus to be a Messiah who rids them um, immediately of the Romans, who uh, delivers them in power by, by battling the Romans and Gentiles out of Jerusalem and Judea, and who sets up a visible kingdom right then and there. That's, that's sort of the expectation of the day. 
And so just as they've had other men that they hope for, um, like uh, Judas Maccabeus, a little bit before Jesus was born, like Simon Bar Kokhba, who was another supposed Messiah. Uh, perhaps they think that this is just another man named Jesus, but hopefully the one who's going to rid them of the Romans. At any rate, you know who this Jesus is. He is, in fact, the King of Kings. He is, in fact, the Son of God. He is, in fact, the Messiah who enters Jerusalem to save and to save by his own death on the cross, shedding his blood for the sins of the world. Now, paired with Matthew chapter 21, our Old Testament lesson for this week is Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Just a quick look at this. It begins, uh, Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, verse 1, begins the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet near the, near the end of, of the Old Testament. Um, he, he's of the priestly class. He prophesies regarding the southern kingdom mostly um, about, about Judea or Judah at that time. And as in Isaiah 2, he declares, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now you pair this Old Testament reading with Matthew 21, and it's a great combination to kick off Advent. Because Matthew 21, with Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem, is not just about his coming to Jerusalem that day, but it's the culmination or the beginning of the culmination of him coming in the flesh to save us. So we'll, we'll group this Palm Sunday reading in with Jesus coming to us in the flesh, born of Mary. And then Isaiah chapter 2, we have two more comings of Jesus. One is the one on the last day. That's in Isaiah 2, verse 4, when he judges between the nations, when he decides disputes for any peoples, and when swords are beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. That happens on the last day, when, when, uh, when this world is ended, when the evil are vanquished, when there is no sorrow, nor sighing, or pain, or fighting or war anymore, those are former things that have passed away. So as we get to the 
end of our Old Testament lesson, we had this preview of the last day when the Lord vanquishes all evil and there is no more um, bloodshed or war. So, so far in our lessons, in the gospel reading, we have Jesus coming the first time around, born of Mary, to enter Jerusalem and die on the cross. And then we have at the end of the Old Testament lesson, um, Jesus coming again on the last day to to judge the living and the dead. And at the start of of Isaiah chapter 2, we have uh, Jesus, Jesus coming to us in between his incarnation and his return in glory. And that's what these words, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Now, when we first think of the mountain of the Lord, we think of Mount Zion We think of the city of Jerusalem on the holy hill because that's where the temple is. And in the Old Testament, the temple is important because that's where God dwells with his people. He lives in the temple behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies. And so in the Old Testament, when someone said, come, let us go to the mountain, mountain of the Lord, they were talking about going to Jerusalem and going to the temple. However, this passage looks forward to the latter days or the last days, New Testament times. And in these New Testament times, where is the Lord found? Not in the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem isn't there anymore. So where is the Lord present on earth? The Lord is present on earth wherever Jesus is present on earth. And where is Jesus present on earth? Wherever his word is preached and wherever his sacraments are administered. Wherever people gather around the means of grace, that's where Jesus is, giving forgiveness, strengthening faith, giving salvation and eternal life. So when people say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, they're saying, come, let us go to where the Lord is. And that mountain is church. It's where people gather, gather together for the means of grace. That's where he forgives our sins. That's where he teaches us his ways that we may walk in his paths. One note here um, in verse 3, a a vocabulary note that, that it says, For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The word law there doesn't strictly mean commandments. The word there in Hebrew is Torah, which is a word for teaching or or doctrine. So for out of Zion, out of the church then goes forth God's teaching, God's doctrine, God's word, and it goes forth to all nations And God gathers in his people from all nations into his church. And then finally, on the last day, when swords are beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, God gathers all of his people into his heavenly kingdom. So what do we do right now? 
Now that Jesus has come in the flesh and died for our sins, and as we await Jesus coming again in glory, verse 5 of the Old Testament lesson in Isaiah 2 says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Well, what is the light of the Lord? The light of the Lord is Jesus, who says, I am the light of the world. So let us walk in Christ. How do we walk in Christ? By receiving Christ, by gathering around his word and his sacraments to be forgiven for our sins and strengthened in our faith. So the theme of Advent is Christ has come. Christ is coming again in glory. In the meantime, he comes to us in his means of grace. Put together Matthew chapter 21 and Isaiah chapter 2. And you've got a great start to Advent. One more note that we should add as we talk about Jesus coming in the flesh, in glory, and currently in his means of grace. And that is, whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper at Good Shepherd, we sing the song of the Palm Sunday crowds. When they saw Jesus enter Jerusalem on that donkey, they cried out, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Just before the Lord's Supper, we sing the Sanctus, and the second half of that is straight from Palm Sunday. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why do we repeat the song of Palm Sunday? Because the same Jesus who came into Jerusalem humbly on a donkey comes to us humbly in with and under bread and wine, giving us his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. And as the people rejoiced that Jesus had come to save them that day in Jerusalem, so we rejoice that Jesus comes to give us salvation in with and under that bread and wine of Holy Communion. He comes to us in his means of grace until he comes again in glory. All right, that's our quick look at the Old Testament and Gospel readings for the first Sunday in Advent, Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, and Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Uh, God bless your further meditations upon these texts, and God grant you every good gift of your teaching these to others. And until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen. Amen.